From Troy Public Radio, this is In Focus Weekend, and I'm Carolyn Hutchison. Hybrid warfare could be a factor in the political polarization gripping the United States, according to the editors of the book The Challenge to NATO, Global Security and the Atlantic Alliance. Professor Michael Slobodkov, political science chair at Troy University, and Professor Doug Davis join us for a discussion of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, its mission, and its adversaries. This interview originally aired as the second of a two-part program in the Storyline book series on In Focus. Professor Michael Slobodkov, welcome back to Troy Public Radio's The Storyline book series. It is a pleasure to, to join you, Carolyn. Thank you so much. Professor Doug Davis, welcome back to you. And it was great visiting with you and Dr. Slobodkov last Thursday in the book series. Thank you, Carolyn. Your book is called The Challenge to NATO, Global Security and the Atlantic Alliance. And you also have a co-editor, Brandon Stewart. So, Dr. Slobodkov, you are hearing concerns about our contributions to NATO being more than these member countries. What do you think is behind that concern? Is it that these folks don't think we should be there carrying most of the burden or what? Well, I think that NATO has always been one of the most successful collective security organizations that the world has known. And really, it's Article 5 of NATO, which states that an attack on one member country is the same as an attack on any member country that makes NATO so successful. In fact, interestingly, there's only one time that Article 5 has ever been invoked, and it was invoked after September 11th when the United States was attacked by al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. And speaking of defense, the latest news has Russia and China scrambling in the Arctic with showdowns with the United States. What do you think of that? Well, I think that the Arctic is really one of the next zones of conflict. As we're seeing more Arctic ice melt, there are a lot more oil reserves, a lot of natural gas reserves, and just ease of uh, movement. And Russia has long been trying to gain a foothold in the Arctic. And now both China and Russia are working together in the Arctic and the United States and its foothold in the Arctic. So we're seeing a lot more great power competition occurring over the Arctic and its resources. Dr. Davis, what is your view about Russia's activity in the United States described as hybrid warfare? What is that? Hybrid warfare is really a means of using elements that are not normally considered within the military affairs or security and having them influence American public opinion. The idea is that it was create a barrier between the American public and NATO or to promote divisions and accelerate divisions within North America. For example, the, the nationalist movement that led to riots where people were beat in Charlottesville, it turns out that the FBI reported that Russia was antagonizing both sides. They didn't really have a preference, but their goal was to make the United States look bad. One of the ways that unfortunately we've seen that is for Russia to be involved in social media and 
the hybrid warfare is it's a very broad attack, but it's designed to affect our psychology in a way that increases division, increases paranoia, makes people and states more distant from each other, and makes the prospect of collaboration much more difficult. That's why Russia does it, but it's something that we have to be very mindful of. We have to focus on it and make even greater strides to build the network that holds NATO together because of this. You seem to be describing the current political climate inside the United States. Unfortunately, that's true. Uh, We are very polarized and divided. The one element about social media is that it's much easier to be connected, but it's also much easier for our foreign adversaries to also interfere within our domestic political system and change it in a way that they believe enhances their security and weakens ours. So our openness is something that's also in a sense of a liability or a vulnerability and something that we have to protect the open society, but we have to do it in a way that maintains openness without allowing our adversaries to take advantage of it, which is very difficult. If I can just add one more thing, it's that our reliance on social media really allows us to segment ourselves to receive only information that reinforces our opinions. And the Russians are very good at this, as are the Chinese, of helping to reinforce those opinions. So people who have certain opinions will only get those opinions reinforced, which means that dialogue and compromise become very uh, difficult to achieve. And it is very difficult to have an honest conversation with someone with an opposing view. That is a great point, Dr. Slavajkov. And there is a sentence in the book. Currently, the great problem is that Washington is increasingly focused on containing China. And you go on to point out that in the past, Europe could count on the support and interest of the United States. But here we are pivoting with our concerns with Asia. So I think that if you read the defense priority documents and look at what the government is stressing right now, it is a focus on China because China is perceived to be the bigger threat. Now, that is a very important thing. But the problem is, is that we have difficulty often walking and chewing gum at the same time. We can't take our eyes off Europe and the competition going on there because that is vital to our interests. And Professor Davis, NATO countries are being asked to provide, what is it, 2% of their GDP for the mutual defense of Europe? Absolutely. The 2% military GDP spending is a requirement for all NATO members that they freely entered into and reconfirmed at a NATO meeting, I think it was in 2010, under President Obama, where every country agrees to spend 2% of their GDP on military defense. And the idea is that instead of having everyone rely on the U.S. and our nuclear umbrella and the military units we have deployed in Europe, that even the small states would be able to offer something as long as they continue to meet this threshold. This threshold has actually changed historically because when NATO started, it was a 3% threshold. The adjustment was made following the recession in 2008, the 2008 economic crisis, 
put a strain on European budgets. And so to adjust this, it was dropped down to 2%. That said, the majority of states don't meet this threshold. The ones who do are the ones who have an immediate military threat on their border, such as the Baltic states, Romania, Poland, and actually the UK. Most countries are below this. Poland is also, I think, right at that 2% threshold. But it's a way for the smaller countries to carry some of the burden of deterrence. That way, the cost of the collective defense is spread equally around all countries. Since all countries benefit, all countries need to contribute. So that's been a major sticking point for a lot of U.S. presidents because many of our allies have not been able to maintain spending at that level. The 2% threshold is something that will come up probably in every NATO meeting until that threshold is actually met. The challenge to NATO, global security, and the Atlantic Alliance. Dr. Slobodkoff, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, Carolyn. It was a pleasure. Dr. Davis, thank you. It was a great pleasure. Thank you, Carolyn. Joining us on In Focus Weekend were the co-editors of the book, The Challenge to NATO, Global Security and the Atlantic Alliance. Troy University political science professors Doug Davis and Michael Slobodkoff, who is also a BBC World News contributor, are the editors, along with Brandon Stewart. Coming up, we'll check in with Christy Maynard, artistic director of the River Region's oldest community theater, the Wetumpka Depot Players. That's ahead on In Focus Weekend, so stay with us. Welcome back to In Focus Weekend. I'm Carolyn Hutchison. In September, the Wetumpka Depot Players will bring to the stage a Pulitzer Prize-winning drama, Doubt, a Parable. The theater is also preparing to bring back its heartwarming Penguin Project. Artistic Director Christy Maynard joins us by Skype for a preview. Christy, thanks for joining us today. Carolyn, what a welcome chance to be here. Thank you. Christy, I did not realize that the Wetumpka Depot players were the oldest River Region community theater. This is true, 43 years. I kind of consider us the grandmother of all the community theaters, but despite that title, I think we're thriving and still keeping up a really great pace here in Wetumpka. So how was it founded? Well, founded years ago by a tremendous group of talented folks who looked around the community and said, this community deserves a theater and an outlet to create. And so those core founders started a little theater back behind the Methodist church, and it was actually in the train depot. So that's how we got our name. Well, I was looking at your website, and you have some tremendous offerings coming up for the season, starting with Doubt, a parable. Who can forget that movie? 
It is one powerful work of art, that is for sure, written by John Patrick Shanley, won the Pulitzer Prize, won the Tony Award in 2005. It's just so memorable. It's such a unique audience experience. That's what I think about the show, because you come in and you sit with these four people in the cast, and you take this journey over the course of 90 minutes with them. You have your own thoughts going home on the car ride home, for sure. So give us the basic plot. Basically, the plot is we are in a Bronx Catholic school, and Sister Aloysius is the exacting, (laughs) powerful, dragon-like sister who is the principal of the school. She takes matters into her own hands when she suspects that the young priest Father Flynn has done something that's very inappropriate. So the entire work is about that that suspicion has cast doubt over this situation, and we follow this layered story with each of these characters as they all wrestle with those emotions and feelings. Meryl Streep and Philip Seymour Hoffman were in the lead roles. It also included Amy Adams, Viola Davis. Oh, yeah. The the film is so powerful, and it was directed by John Patrick Shanley, which is kind of unheard of, but the film almost follows verbatim the script, but I can't imagine the joy he must have had for it to become a film because it plays so well, but also to work with such a powerhouse cast. I mean, can you imagine? There is a connection, Christy. You know, we started out talking about the founding of the Wetumpka Depot Players. There's a connection with the director of this play, Doubt, a Parable. What's that connection? It's a full circle connection, as we call it. When we had talked about being founded over in the train depot back in 1980, one of those founders was a brilliant, community-minded, talented, creative woman, Patsy Butler. Her daughter, Beth, is my age, and we grew up together in those early years, going to school together and doing theater together. Beth went on to have a brilliant theater career, running a theater down in St. Augustine, Florida, the Limelight Theater. And she has retired and is able to do some directing gigs outside of Florida, and she has returned to direct this piece. That is going to be so poignant to have her involved in this, knowing that her mother was a founder of the Wetumpka Depot Players. Very, very poignant on that. And her father was also a founder as well. The dates that Doubt will be presented to the public, the next play, or what? Doubt opens on Thursday, September the 21st. We run that Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. The following Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday And the next Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and that ends up being October the 7th. So we run September the 21st through October the 7th. Is there an age recommendation on that play because it does deal with some sensitive issues? I think this play is appropriate for 13, 14, 15 and above. A parent would want to make that call on that child's maturity, but I think it's appropriate for teenagers and above. The last time we talked, you told us about a unique project called the Penguin Project. Get us up to date on what that is. I love sharing about the Penguin Project. It is a powerful, powerful theater project that we are thrilled to say we are a replication site of it. It's a national foundation 
you go through them to become a Penguin Project site, but the gist of it is it's for individuals who have special needs or are living with certain types of disabilities, young folks, ages 8 to 21, but they join us in rehearsal for a production, and they are the stars of the show. We pair each of those artists with a non-disabled peer mentor, and they work together. The peer mentor supports the artist and makes sure that they get what they need to be successful in those roles. And what happens is this stunning masterclass in humanity because it becomes much more than a play or a musical. It becomes more about building relationships and empathy. It's just such a beautiful project. We started it back before the pandemic. Of course, we took a hiatus with that, but we're back in our second season post-pandemic with it. We serve about 30 children in the River Region community. We also really serve their families because the families of the kids get so much out of it. They meet new parents who become each other's supporters and allies and raising a special needs child. And it's just been a tremendous boost of humanity for the Depot players. We love having the Penguin Project with us. And how old are the, quote, big sisters, big brother types who work with these young actors? The mentors, we like to pair them with a similar age as to the artist. So they range in age from 10 to 21. And it's a huge commitment for a mentor. They come every rehearsal. They are paired with that artist the entire process. And they're not going to be the one out front singing and dancing. It's going to be the artist, obviously. But they become best of friends and It's just a beautiful thing to see come together. And you hope to kick this off in October, is that right? Yeah, we're going to kick it off in October, give everybody a little chance to get acclimated to the school season. Then we'll come in with our Penguin Project kids, and they're actually producing a Christmas show this year that'll fall in the middle of December that they'll rehearse for. And then as soon as January rolls around, they're going to be in rehearsal for a wonderful musical called Honk, And Honk is just a fantastic show that celebrates being unique. And we felt like it was such a great fit. They'll knock it out of the park. They always do. Christy, let's remind everyone that the River Region's oldest community theater, the Wetumpka Depot Players, is the recipient of some national awards. Yes, we had such a tremendous experience this past June. We traveled our award-winning production of a play that Doug Segrest and I wrote called A Storm Came Up. And we won the state festival, got passed through regional competition in Louisville, Kentucky, and were invited to the National Theater Festival in Louisville this past June. It was just a tremendous experience. The show won a Technical Achievement Award, and our own Tony Davis, who played the narrator in A Storm Came Up, was recognized nationally for his performance. Congratulations. You have a website where people can find out more about the upcoming plays and projects. Yes, it's easy to find. Wetumkadepot.com. You can learn all about the Depot players. Christy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Carolyn. Have a great day. Joining us by Skype was Christy Maynard, Artistic Director of the Wetumka Depot Players. 
Thanks for joining us today for In Focus Weekend, which is also available as a podcast on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carolyn Hutchison, hoping your weekend is a great one. This is listener-supported Troy Public Radio.